I'm Austin Lugo. I'm Andrew Hart. This is Nothing to Say. Let's talk about playtime. So this was my choice this week. I got to pick the movie. And Playtime is something that I've long wanted to do on the podcast, but I've been kind of hesitant to do it. And I think this conversation will be kind of, it'll be challenging because the way we typically run the podcast is very plot heavy. And that's kind of a lot of the conversation we have. And this, I mean, there's not really much of a plot, but it is, I think having watched it for the first time when I was in film school, now having watched it some four years later, I still think, and perhaps even more so, it's just an absolute feat of filmmaking and directing. And it's really, you know, Jacques Dutit's kind of story of not only this film, but his film as a director is kind of tragic. It's sort of similar to Orson Welles in that he really struggled to get all of his films off the ground. But unlike Orson Welles, whose sort of struggle was more with like producers and kind of his inability to work within a studio system, Jacques Tati's problem more so had to do with the inability of his films to make very much money. And this was kind of his biggest film. You know, he spent millions and millions of dollars and his own money actually went into debt to make this film. And it took over eight years to make it because they literally built like a small city with its own roads, its own electrical you know, system. Like they literally built a city because he said, you know, it's cheaper to build a city than it is to hire like an Elizabeth Taylor or something like that, which I mean, is probably true, but he put so much money into it, so much time into it. And the fact that it didn't do as well as he has expected it to. I mean, I understand why it didn't do well. It's not exactly made for general audiences in a lot of ways, but because of that, his next film, Traffic, you know, he had significantly less money for that. And then he only had one other film they made after that, which was like this TV movie. And, and I've seen all of Jack T's work because he's only he only made like seven or eight films. And it's really tragic to sort of watch his experience as a director. Cause I always think it's interesting to watch directors kind of, you know, grow kind of in their filmmaking career and as they get bigger and then, you know, as they get older, they kind of focus more on different themes and different ideas. You know, you can certainly see this in the case of say like a, a Kubrick or a Michelangelo Antonioni or even a Charlie Chaplin. But what's so tragic about Tati is that he's probably one of the greatest directors of all time. And one of the last movies he made was this TV movie made for you know a budget that was probably like $50,000 maybe. And you can just see like how hard he wants it to be great. And it's just, I don't know, it, it's sad. That's a long tangent to say, uh, I really like this film. How would you go about describing this, Andrew? It's sort of like a, a comedy film in the... the um... I guess, tradition and vein of like Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin kind of thing, you know, totally physical comedy. There's not really any dialogue in the movie at all. But yeah, it's like kind of like a physical comedy film that utilizes, like you said, you know, spaces and buildings and, you know, vehicles and stuff to aid in the comedy of the film, of the progression of the film and you know, the problems that come up. That's probably the best way I can describe it, except I would say that like, you know, it's not like the funniest movie of all time, but it is like very creative 
and clever. And it, it's not necessarily like uh, like a gut busting kind of like comedy. It is funny. It's just um, it's just a little bit different than yeah than maybe like a typical comedy movie in what may appear in one's mind when you say when you mention a, a comedy films or something like that. And is this the first Jack Tati film you've seen? Oh yeah, definitely yeah. And yeah, I've been wanting to watch Playtime for a long time. I think like I'd seen like shots of it from like a YouTube video I'd watched. Like someone mentioned him, and and right away I was very interested in watching the movie. Not right away, but soon enough. Like the shots from the movie of Playtime, where you know, I was immediately taken by it because um I think I saw the scene where um he he breaks the window at the restaurant. <laughs> yeah. He like breaks the uh, the window, and I saw that scene, and I thought that that was pretty funny and clever. I also saw shots of like him like in the office building that looked really cool. So right away, I, I found it very fascinating, and I will say that I was not disappointed with Playtime. There's definitely nothing like it. Uh, I can't really think of anything like it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to say. Movies that I would compare it to are maybe like a Zucker Brothers movie, or like Gremlins Two, which have like things going on in the background in the foreground all the time. You know, maybe like a, like a naked gun or an airplane. I was thinking of airplane a lot, but airplane, you know, has dialogue and has jokes, but they also have tons of visual gags too that are happening. Mm-hmm. And it's not like playtime is like, it's not like silly things are happening in the background. It's more like regular things are happening in the background, but it's like, I don't know, but we'll talk about this anyway. But yeah, it is a difficult movie to talk about. And really it's like, the movie's really like broken up into like six different sections, pretty much. Yeah. There's the airport, the offices, the trade exhibition, the apartments, the Royal Garden, which is the club, and then like the ending part, which is like like the, the car carousel thing, which is basically like the epilogue, you might say. But it's like, yeah, it's just like the first part is the airport, just to kind of get it started. And, you know, it's just, you know, right away, like it's just, you know, people coming and going and talking. I think the very beginning part is like a couple like talking. They're having a conversation about like the guy being sick. And it's just like people walking around, coming and going. I don't think Tati... Tati doesn't arrive in France, right? I don't think we see him in the airport. I think we see him in the offices. I guess the biggest thing about the airport scene in terms of like a plot or a story <laughs> is that like that big group of like Americans arrive, of American women arrives. Yeah. <laughs> which has one of our main characters, I guess. I don't even know their name, but it's like like a young woman who's with the group. Are there any Americans in the movie, by the way? Do you happen to know that? Because whenever like an American is speaking, it sounds like a French person like doing an American accent. I think... Jacques Dati was, he didn't believe in like hiring like big time actors. So most of the people in the film aren't actors, but I know there are a couple of professional actors in it. I think maybe the guy who plays the American in the Rose Garden or not. The Royal Garden, yeah. I think he might actually be American. Okay, yeah. I don't think any of the others are. I don't think any of the other actors are actually American. They're great though. They appear in all the different sections of the movie they're just like a, a tourist group and they're moving around the city tati bill and like you said you know the whole city completely manufactured and built by tati very convincing very good you know they have like cars driving by and people walking by but yeah i think that's like pretty much all there is to say about the airport section right like you know it's very short and you kind of get the idea of like tati style right away i will say as someone who has seen this film twice before, and I don't think there's really any other film where I have this experience with, I think there are obviously now that we have the podcast, there have been plenty of films which I've seen more than once, and I get you know a fun experience out of rewatching it, and there's a certain nostalgia to it. But I think 
Playtime is perhaps the only film I've ever seen that I would argue is better on second or third viewing than the first. Because Jack Titi is actually in a lot of the airport scenes. He's just not in the front. So like he's like walking around. He's like, and it's amazing because every single character, like I think something Jack Titi is very interested in, and this is true if you see his other work, but I think it's more true with this film than any of his other films because his other films are a little more plot driven and they have like more like characters doing things. But I think what Jacques Tati is really interested in is this idea of kind of the beauty of sort of the mundane, right? Like like every single character, like they have their own motivations, they do their own little things. And you see these like characters come up again and again throughout the film, which is just absolutely brilliant. It's very similar to how um, when Akira Kurosawa made Seven Samurai, he gave all of the people in the village like their own biopic. It was like like a 20 page like script of like, here's who you are, here's your family, and blah, 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 like a whole biography. Jacques Tati, while he didn't like, you know, write biographies for, I don't know, like 30 or 40 characters, they all have their kind of own little intentions and things going on. I think that's one of the reasons why this film works when really it shouldn't. Because like, if you read the script to this film, like there's no way this film should work. I mean, right, as you said, there's basically six scenes and it's basically just Hulo, walking around in a tourist group, you know, just kind of wandering around for a day and a night and then just leaving. Like that, that's pretty much all that happens. But I think the reason that it works, it's so interested in the mundane and the average and the so-called boring. And that's why there are no close-ups in this film. And that's actually true with all of Jacques Tati's work. I've, I guess I've seen all of his films and he doesn't use close-ups like ever. He's never used a close-up before. He has this weird, like, um, he thought it was like crass or something or like gross. Like he, he thought there was something almost pornographic about a close-up. So he only uses wide, which is certainly true in this case. And a lot of the time, I mean, there's not even really, maybe there's a couple medium close-ups, but it's almost all wides. Yeah, I would say that like, at least from this movie, Tati seems to be more in- less interested in like people and more interested in like groups and like buildings and rooms and like structures, I guess you might say, than like, how a person, I guess, looks or how a person acts, I guess. Obviously, like, the closest person is his own character. He's, like, the closest person to a main character, although he, like, disappears, like, towards the end right away. He's, like, gone for a long time, so it's kind of hard to say he's a main character. He's more like us, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's just kind of like, he's almost kind of like our arbiter, and we, like, kind of follow him around, you know, to these different places and areas, and it's not, the movie isn't really about him. It's about these spaces that he goes into and then he causes mischief and like things happen, you know, in kind of like a, you know, like I said, like a Keaton or Chaplin kind of way. But yeah, it, it just seems like, I see what he means. He, he's definitely like more interested in how pretty a person is or how ugly a person is, but more about like how they interact with the environment and how that environment interacts with them. So there are characters, like you said, but there's like a lot of them and they have their moments. But like you said, there's no close-ups. Everything is super wide and the camera too is very still. He basically just pans and zooms and zooms in and out. That's pretty much all he does. It makes sense though, because if like you're a director kind of trying to conduct all these people and all these things going on, you're probably not going to want to like do anything crazy in the first place. So it completely makes sense why you just want to like, all right, we're going to have the camera right there. All right, you know what I mean? It it completely makes sense. So, and it's extremely effective. Probably the only scene where he does anything interesting camera-wise, like a lot of camera movement is when... He goes to the offices for whatever reason. I don't even think we, it doesn't matter. Yes, right? with like 
a guy. Like, yeah, like a manager or something that works there. And then, like, he goes there and he, he meets, like, a security guard. And there's, like, this big metal panel with a bunch of buttons and shit. <laughs> the guy is, like, I think he's trying to, like, basically make a phone call, right? Like, <laughs> and it's silly. It's just, like, this big, huge panel. It's, like, this little old man. And then, then of course, like, you had the office guy. He's, like, all the way down at the hall. And he's, like, taking forever to walk down. That's pretty funny. And he meets with them and stuff. And then I think at one point he loses him. Or, no, he's put into the waiting room. And the waiting room is like probably the only scene in the movie where it seems like Tati is like doing like a lot more movement because he's like kind of like walking around and he's like looking at the furniture and there's these like big like pictures of like these like guys in suits but there's no like there's no indication of who they are like there's just like pictures of these old guys so that's the only scene I can think of that I can remember where Tati is like kind of like doing a lot more movement because it seems like he's going all the way around the room but that's pretty much it I think. The scene where the man walks down the hallway, just this obnoxiously long hallway, is one of my favorite scenes in all of cinema because it's just, it's so absurd. And I think more than anything, Jacques Dutty is kind of making fun of filmmaking itself because traditionally, right, what you would do, you have that shot and you cut to like a close-up to Jacques T and then you cut back to the wide and he's like right there. And it reminds me of this interview Orson Welles had the first time he watched a German expressionist film. I don't know if it was M or something like it. He's like, there's, there's something crazy about the Germans because they just won't cut. Like you'll see someone walking down the hallway and they'll just hold on it forever. And, <laughs> and this is just an absurd case of it. And I think the reason that it works and I think a reason that a lot of this film works is because even though on the surface, nothing is happening, there's, first of all, incredible sound design throughout this whole thing. I mean, just wonderful sound. Secondly, all of the characters are always doing things. Like they're never just standing there, always moving around, always doing things. And so like the whole time the camera's sitting there, the guy's walking towards, like Jack Tati gets getting up and he's looking and like the old man is moving around. You know, they're doing things. I think the way, the best way to describe the viewing of this film, because I don't think like entertaining is the right word or, you know, we kind of talk about it as a comedy, but it's not, as you say, you know, a lot of the moments are like, they're clever and funny, but it's not a lot of like, you know, laughing out loud other than maybe like a couple of moments. But I think the best way to describe this film is sort of hypnotizing. You know, it's kind of like, it pulls you into this world. And even though it's just this guy walking down this hallway for an absurd amount of time, you're just like pulled into it. There's something about that that just works. Even though you know there's no story, it's still, there's something about it that is very, like you said, hypnotizing. It's also a movie where I don't even know if I would, it is beautiful, but it's kind of almost hard to say that it is beautiful. You know what I mean? Because it's like primarily like shots of like glass and steel. So it's almost kind of hard to say that it's beautiful. I mean, I, I guess I would say it is. I think it is. Uh, it is shot immaculately, but yeah, it's kind of a weird movie. It's just kind of like, it, it's not a dark movie. You know, it's it's generally good natured. So I would say it's beautiful. It's just almost hard to say because it's like, I don't know. But anyway, basically what happens is Tati gets lost in the office building. He's run a monk in the, you know, building. And like you said, it's kind of hard to talk about because like, it's basically just like a series of like kind of gags and jokes. There's no like conversations really. I love that scene where he's like, he accidentally goes into the elevator and he gets off and he looks down and then it's like that sea of like office building cubes, which I think Tati like predicted that, right? Like that wasn't like a thing, right? Like the cubicle, I think wasn't like a thing. I think office bizarre. When I think of like old time offices, I think of the one in like, um, like the apartment where it's just like desks, like lines of desks, like one after another right next to each other, like da 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 da. But then they like make cubicles just to, I guess, make people more comfortable or something like that, or less annoyed, or, you know, even create like more like, 
I don't know, I don't know about the history of the cubicle, but I know that like Tati probably like more or less predicted it because now they're way more common now. But I like that shot. Like he goes up the elevator and he sees all the cubicles. And yeah, it's just amazing. Like when you realize that like Tati created everything, it's like there are all these like like weird little like inventions and things and items and stuff that are just like very interesting. And yeah, it's really good. I'm trying to think. I don't know. Do you have something to say about the offices? Like the offices part of the movie? I'm trying to think. There's a couple of, of gags that I think are, are just absolutely brilliant gags and some of my favorite gags. The first gag is there's this American on the phone and he's calling in one of the cubicles and he needs like numbers. And he calls the manager who's like standing right outside the cubicle, walks like to the opposite side of the office, answers the phone and then walks back to the, where the guy's cubicle is. And there's like a filing cabinet there, gets a file and then walks back and then tells it to him over the phone, which you can clearly hear like the Americans like very loud. It's just absurd and silly. And then the other gag, which I think isn't as funny, but is perhaps, Tati does this a lot in this film. He loves to play with reflections. And I think that's a big kind of theme of this film is the idea of, we'll talk about this more later, but often when you open a door, you'll see the reflection of like a famous building, right? You'll see the Eiffel Tower or you'll see like these big buildings, which obviously they actually had to like, they had to put a picture of it in like, like right behind where the camera is because there was no way that would actually be there. But it, it's this whole idea of kind of, especially with tourists, right? That it's the idea of going to places and not really seeing anything, right? There's the whole, um, when you see the tourist signs, right? It's just gray buildings. Yeah, the tourist signs are really funny. It's like the office building. And then like, the, it, it looks like a, sh- like a crappy Photoshop of them putting in like, come to what? Like a New York City or, yeah. building. And then like the office building. I see what you mean. It, like you said, it's like, He's kind of making a joke about like tourists seeing nothing, I guess, is what you might say. They're not really seeing anything at all. They're only really seeing what tour guides want them to see, you might say. And so going back to sort of the idea of the reflection is Jacques Dutty is still looking for this manager guy. And there's this reflection in another building of the guy. And it looks like the guy's in the other building. And so like they have this back and forth and then the guy walks across or Jacques Dutty walks across. And of course, the guy was like standing right next to Dutty. And it's just, it's one of the most like intricate and like well thought out and just like I imagine shooting that just must have been like absolutely miserable to get like those reflections just in like the right places and the move in the right way it just looks really cool yeah that one also comes to mind that one's also like really like whoa okay because I was like what, what's the problem because you kind of have to like really look at it for a second to see what's going on and then you realize like oh okay he sees the reflection yeah there's a lot of glass everywhere Obviously that's intentional because of course Tati wants you to see everyone, wants you to see everyone doing their thing. And yeah, I think directly after that is the expo, which is clear that he just repurposed the office cubicles into like these little like people are like selling stuff, including a person who's selling uh, those chairs that are everywhere. It's like the same chairs, like in all the offices and stuff like that. I think at that point too, he goes up into that really great shot where he goes up and he sees like the Empire State Building in the background. I like that shot where he goes up on there. The other thing about that's worth noting too is like there's no green in the movie at all except maybe at that at that shot where he goes up on the top of the building or like on a like a like a I don't even know what you call it like a you know what I mean yeah but for the most part like there's just no like trees or plants or any really anything like that there's like a woman outside the building like selling flowers and maybe at the very end but obviously very intentional but yeah he's like in the expo and he's like walking around and 
people are selling these like really useless items and stuff that are really funny, which he had to create. He had to create the broom that has like lights on it. <laughs> like it looks like a broom that has lights on it. Like he had to make that. And I think then like Tati gets in trouble with the, the guys who make the silent doors, right? Very good. It's very funny. One of the gags in this film, and this actually has a lot to do with the past films Tati had made. So even though none of his films up to this point were very successful, uh, Mansoor Hulo, which is this character that he plays in all his film, this very famous character at this point. Like everyone knows who Monster Hello is. He's kind of like- France, right? Yeah, in France, yeah, that's right, in France. He's like the uh, France version of like a Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton. Like at the time he was very famous and everyone knew the character Hulo. It's kind of like, I don't know, I guess like a- Mr. Magoo, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so throughout the film, there are tons of people who are dressed exactly like Hulo and people like constantly think that those people are Hulot, like they're constantly mistaking him for Hulot. And so in the office, this is probably like one of the most prevalent gags, or I guess like one of the most obvious ones is there's this guy who's dressed like him with like a pipe and a scarf. And for some reason, he just like walks up to the like silent door people and then just like looks through their files and then like just blatantly looks through their files and they just take something and walks away whatever <laughs> yeah but he's dressed exactly like him like he said and uh, mm -hmm. he like walks away and uh, i think the guy like mentions to his to the other guy to the boss like that, that guy he had a long pipe and was wearing a scarf he was looking through a files what the heck and then of course he tati comes along and he's like he's like berating him like hey why don't you look through all my files da, 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 da. and he's like how could you look through the files da, da, da. and you know they make silent doors so it's like doors that make no noise so he's like goes in and he slams the door and it makes no noise and it's so that's so funny like yeah that's just like a really really good joke where he like yeah he goes to the door and he slams it and there's no noise like it's so like he slams it so hard that like the like the cubicle walls shake and yeah it just like there's no noise it's just like wow that's that's really good <laughs> and he gets berated and i think like uh, the other guy comes back he's like no uh, that wasn't him and he's like oh god i'm so sorry i didn't mean to like berate you and yeah, the silent doors thing is uh is uh, a lot of fun i think also some women think he's like a like a lamp guy and they give him a lamp and once again like it's kind of hard to like sum up like a scene because it's only like there's so much going on you know it's kind of hard to uh break down every second of the movie and that would be pointless anyway you should just watch the movie i think that's it for the exposition i think people are going home now where people are like getting into their cars tachi's also he seems to be interested in like kind of like visual repetition so he'll have like a like street lights right next to each other. He has that one scene where like four guys who look exactly the same go next into their go into their identical cars at the same time and drive away. You know, everything kind of like looks the same. Everything is very homogenous. You know, everyone, all the men look the same, like same hats, you know, same looking colored. Uh, everything is like a blue and bluish and grayish. And, you know, everything is of like kind of like the same colors and stuff like that. And there's like uh, different colors here and there, but for the most part, it's, you know, completely uh, uh, grays and until after the apartment scene. And I think after that, it's the apartment scene, right? Mm -hmm. If you were to judge like all the different, like I said, there's like six sections to the movie. If you were to judge each section, each section is fantastic. Each section has at least like one great, brilliant thing with it. And the apartment section is brilliant. Yeah, the apartment section, the first time I saw that, the experience is so sort of, surreal almost because the way the apartments are built they're like these apartments that are exactly the same as each other like there's one here one here and then one on top one another and they're the giant like glass 
windows and you can see everything into their apartments. And so you see like these different people living these different lives. And Jack Titi runs into like an old friend from the army, I think, or something like that. So like meeting old friends from the army. He's like, oh yeah, da, 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 da. which I don't know, like there's probably like something there. He's probably evoking some kind of feeling or message with that almost kind of like a, like, you know, this is what we're doing now that like the war is over. You know what I mean? We're going to our office buildings, you know, uh, this is like the normal life, you know, that we fought for. It's, this is the life that we fought for, right? You know, so it's, just, uh, I find that very uh, interesting how, yeah, he keeps like running into people who are in the army, the, who he knows from the army. So I think that's also like, kind of like a, a dig or a fun detail, but he like, yeah, he meets the guy and he, he visits his apartment, like you said. And this is probably one of the, I mean, while the film itself typically is pretty quiet and subdued in a lot of ways, I think this is probably Jacques Tati at his boldest in the sense that he is more interested in the visuals than he really is in entertaining in a traditional sense. Because almost this whole scene, which goes on for quite a while, yeah, and like the sound of people walking and cars going by, there's almost no sound. Like the whole conversations of them talking and like moving around, it's entirely physical, which is just yeah. super audacious. It's almost like Ati's like, you know, you, the viewer, weren't invited in the apartment. You know what I mean? Like you're not in the apartment. You know, you have to now stay outside of the apartment and just see what's going on. And yeah, like you said, you're only hearing people walking by, driving by, which I don't even... I don't know, even that aspect alone just seems like complicated to in a believable way, you know? So I think also up to the point, after the apartment scene, not so much, but I would say up to this point, playtime is all, is a little cynical almost, in, a, in my opinion, because it's kind of like, Tachi's almost like saying like city life is like you go in your box to go to another box. So you can go to another box um, and then you leave to go to your the box that you live in so that you can stare at your box and everything is made of metal and glass. So you can stare at your like little metal box. Um, you can stare at the glass in your little box and then you can do it again tomorrow. <laughs> I wouldn't say that Tati is like mean about it, but he is like, I think he is a little a little bit cynical about like office life or city life in like a really big city, like Paris, France, for example. There is like an, obviously, like I said before in the visuals, but I think it's also like figuratively like not figuratively, but you know, it's, it's uh, you know, repetition is something that evokes a lot, um, especially like in this first half of the movie, you know, that's like a big thing with it where it's like, you know, people are like kind of caught up in like these like kind of structures of life where, you know, you go to work, you go home, you stare at your box with your family and you go to bed, you know? So I think Tati is kind of like, kind of like playing off of that, uh, a way of life, you might say, everyday modern post-World War II life, you might say which I think is like the strongest aspect of the movie, in my opinion. That, along with the second half of the movie, create kind of like this interesting uh, dynamic that I think is really brilliant. Um, and it's the best part of the movie, in my opinion. But yeah, like the apartment scene is great. <laughs> it's funny. He like visits and like, they're all like hanging out and stuff. And like you said, you can also see the other apartments. So in the apartment right next door, uh, the guy who he's trying to meet uh, shows up. And he like goes into his apartment and he hit his nose because when he was trying to see Tati's character, he hit his nose against the window, the, the door window. And uh, I like the gag when Tati leaves and they're holding on to like both the apartments at the same time and nothing is going on. But then the, his friend goes out and he sees he's stuck like in the lobby of the apartment building. I wasn't expecting that. It was like, oh, I guess he's stuck. 
and like because he, and it and you know it's no cut so it's like you know they're holding on it for a while of them the, the the shots of when tati leaves and then when he finds out that tati has been stuck like it's it's good it's it's one of those things where i can't imagine just how much time and thought just goes into like every second and just imagining the headache of like having to have these like entirely different directions for all these different people all doing the things at once because also during this time is when the other gag is of course that he can never seem to get a hold of the manager or whatever the manager walks out with his dog and so like walks basically right past the tea once again and this whole time he's just stuck in there and then you don't even it's not like one of those gags like where you can kind of watch it happen in real time. Like you almost forget about it. And I think this is something Tati does a lot in playtime and he does a lot in his other work too, which is sometimes he'll have gags that you don't even realize are gags until like the gag's over. There's nothing before the punchline. There'll just be the punchline. And I think this is like one of those things like you don't know that he's trapped in there. But then once you do it, it's so clever and hilarious. I'm trying to think if there's anything more about the apartment scene. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I think the only thing that maybe we should mention is of course throughout this whole film there's this idea of tourists and travel and photography right taking pictures of things i would say language as well language as well yeah yeah for sure and in this apartment scene they're about to show uh tati like pictures of them skiing right it again kind of harkens back to this idea of when you live in a box right when your life is just a box and you go to another box to another box to another box you're constantly living in this ideal world that you create out of pictures, but you never actually live in, right? When you think of the tourists, they're constantly taking pictures of things, but they're never actually living in Paris. I think back to the picture where he's trying to take a picture of the woman at the flower shop. And it's like, a, it's like a five or six or 10 minute scene where all she's trying to do is take this one picture and people just keep walking in and out. And she doesn't want to take the yeah. picture because she's, <laughs> right? she's created this ideal of what Paris is, of what Paris should be. Or it's interesting too, when people, people do this all the time where people will walk in front of a picture and they stop and they're like, they're almost like they're extremely cognizant of the fact that like they're interrupting a picture and they feel like bad or feel suddenly like they're just walking by and suddenly they feel self-conscious about, you know, being in a picture or the fact that they interrupted a picture. And that happens a couple of times. It's very, it's very good. And then we get Jacques Tati in the next scene, uh, finally meets up with the manager. Yes. At the club, right? No, no, they meet outside the club. <laughs> I was not expecting the club scene. I knew kind of like about the office stuff a little bit, like the office building and stuff like that. I'd seen that stuff. You know what I mean? Like I kind of got the idea that like, oh yeah, it's like a big office building. And the point is that like almost Tati is being caught like the office building and the apartment stuff is interesting because to me it's like, it's like Tati's almost like getting kind of caught up in like the weird intricate webbing of like an office or an office building. He's like kind of almost being kind of like wound up in it this immaculate structure made of glass and steel and, you know, chaos, like rain. He's like creating chaos and stuff, but it's like in, contained in these like boxes and these buildings and stuff. So I was not expecting the club scene because I think like the club scene is like, I don't want to say like an antithesis of it because it's more like a continuation in a different way. Instead of like an office building kind of containing like the labor and work of people, the clubs it's like in cities where people work at office jobs they're there to almost kind of contain the actual feelings and inhibitions of people to like let them out in an environment where they're also spending money the club scene is interesting because uh it's discovered that the club is opening that night and they're still in the process of building it which is so funny 
like that whole part of the club that could just be like a movie in itself it was so much fun to watch like wow i'm always surprised also by just how long the club scene is because the club scene it's like 50 minutes long it's almost half the film is all in that club which is i think is really interesting because for so much of the film right it's these really wide shots it's these really big expansive places and with the club scene which takes up almost half the film it's all in one location and i think in some sense, it is a continuation of what's happened before. And it's also, I think like one of the ways to put it is perhaps like the other side of the coin where like all day we're trying to hide ourselves, right? We're trying to put ourselves in these boxes to contain ourselves from the rest of the world. And then the clubs is this place where instead of, you know, chaos happening in a sort of Kafka-esque bureaucracy, it's all happening in this one place. It's, you know, you let your inhibitions, you you spend money. still something like still like containing about it though, right? Because it's another container you know what i mean it's yeah. like not really like it's still like controlled in a way it's still chaotic especially with the added element that like the, the uh, club is like still being built and like the, the guy who owned the club or is trying to or was the manager he's like he's like the architect of the club around with him when something goes wrong he's like oh architect fix it and it's like stuff that like he just can't fix you know it's just like oh it's too you know like how like <laughs> Yeah, but I see what you mean. I just think that like, it's different. And like you said, I think it is the other side of the coin, but it's, I still think it's also just like, once again, another, like another building, another cube that we have built, that we humans have built to contain the chaos that people really are. But like you said, the whole scene is really long and I wasn't expecting that, but really funny. And uh, Tati, his character, he doesn't show up until way later. Uh in the club scene he's absent for a long time i think it's also interesting that when people are in the club right they kind of create this sort of chaos they're kind of running around they're getting drunk they're dancing tons of different visual gags one of i think the the weirdest gags in it is one of the women that's dancing is just like just way over the top like everyone else is just like you know normal dancing and there's just one woman who's just absolutely over the top and you can see her like in every shot just like going for it and I think I think it's interesting that the moment these people walk out of the club right you see them walk out the door they convert back to like these very sophisticated normal selves right like sure they're, they're drunk and wild when they're in here but at the moment they leave the moment anyone is outside of this one room they're suddenly back to these like you know so-called sophisticated selves it's a very French movie Obviously it is a French movie, but there's something very French about it that's kind of hard to explain. Like, it's not really like a new wave movie. French new wave is interesting though, because it's like the opposite, because it's like more concerned about like bodies and like people and like, you know, their faces and how they look and how they dress, which is fine. While Playtime is more interested in like big groups of people. So yeah, like it is funny because like a jazz band starts performing and like all of a sudden everybody's getting on the dance floor and they're dancing and stuff like that. I know that like, around that time, like definitely in the 50s and 60s, I, was, I read like Miles Davis's autobiography like last year, I think, or earlier this year. And like he says, like, like yeah, in France, people would go nuts when we performed there. Like people loved that stuff. I think he even had a relationship with a French woman while he was there. Like, yeah, like French, like they love jazz music and they like go crazy over it. So like that kind of made sense where everyone, like the second the jazz band performs, they're like, all right, let's go. I think like one of the jazz musicians, right? He comes into the uh, club 
And I think the manager is like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, he's like, say no. And he's like, oh, wait, are you in the orchestra? Like, are you in a jazz band? And he's like, yeah. He's like, oh, okay, well, you know. <laughs> but yeah, that that's the, the club scene. It's like 15 minutes long. And it's like, how do you even like talk about it? You know what I mean? I guess like the main funny thing is that everything keeps falling apart. Everything's not working. Nothing is working. Uh, everything is like uh, in disarray because like when the first pe customers come in, they're still like gluing things and painting things and stuff. One of my favorite visual things is like in the back when they're getting food, it's like the tiniest serving door to get the food from the kitchen. It's so small. It's like, <laughs> that, that killed me. I was like, why is it so small? It's like tiny. But yeah, it's just like everything's falling apart. You had that one guy too, who's like, um, uh, people keep trading him because people's, their clothing keeps ripping. The guy who's like sit standing outside and they keep trading with him their tattered clothing and stuff. So he's, he's like, his like outfit is like totally tattered and disgusting. I don't know. What other, what other gags am I missing, Austin? I mean, the clip scene just has like so many little gags going on. I think it's interesting. And maybe, I don't know if this is the case just because I'm an American and I imagine you kind of had a similar thing. But while it's sort of harder to tell like a lot of the nationalities of different people, you can always tell who the Americans are. And I don't think like, you know, we kind of talk about Jacques Petit being cynical, but I don't think he's like mean or cruel in any way. No, like, no, no. He, he's like cynical of like the way that we have built the world, like how a city is, but he's still very interested in it. Like he's still very interested in people and he li likes people, you know, he like cares about them. I would say he's cynical in a very like, he's almost like skeptical of like the situation and the world that we have built for all of us in post-World War II France but yeah yeah continue yeah I was just gonna say that you can always tell which characters are the yeah. American characters almost always because they almost always announce that they're American which I just I love that part and it's so it's so fundamentally American to go to another country and then only speak English to all of these other people and just expect everyone to just like kind of play on your level I mean of course there's perhaps the most absurd case which is the Amer this like wealthy American businessman who just keeps like buying everything, like breaking everything and then just buying it because he just thinks like he can just buy his way out of every situation, which is basically what he does. Yeah, that character is great. I think he speaks French here and there, but it's like rudimentary French. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's great. He's like loud and stuff. And there's one point like towards the end of the scene where Tati basically makes like a bunch of things fall. And I don't know what happens. They create like a separate room out of like the things that are falling from the the ceiling is that what happens like i love this movie a lot it's great i'll just go ahead and you know say that but like it is like it can be kind of hard to watch after a while just because like because there's not a single like second of rest for the most part because you're constantly looking at multiple things at once i was getting kind of fatigued around in the in the club scene a little bit just because it's like sometimes i just felt like because there's so much stuff going on in one shot and one like frame, I feel like then at that point, I'm not seeing anything at all, if that makes sense. That's like my only criticism is that sometimes I felt that way. Sometimes I felt like I just, I'm not getting anything out right now because I'm so tired of like watching the movie, not in a bad way, more in kind of like a, there's just like, just so much stuff in that it's like in a, in a single frame, I'm like, oh my God, like I can't even like look at it because it's just, I have no idea. I, like I can, I'm almost like have no. I almost have no idea what's going on, you know, because there's so much things to keep track of. 
that's like my one criticism. And I would say around in the club scene, I was really starting to get that. I'll say perhaps not necessarily in defense, but I, I will say that I think there's something sort of purposeful in the sort of fatigue that comes, especially from the club scene, because I think everything up to that, even though you know there are just as many gags going on, I think because there's this sense of space, you can kind of focus in on kind of one thing, you can look at one thing, where when you get in the club at first, I know, I know. right? But like the more the later it gets into the night, the more people are at the club. And so, you know, kind of like you're saying, there's just so much to look at that you can never focus on anything. And there's a sort of fatigue that comes. And I think that kind of helps. I think it creates this sense passage of time that's really interesting because, you know, typically when you watch a film, you kind of like, you know, like what's going on, like what kind of time it is, but you're not really experiencing time the way they are. But I think in this film, a lot of the time you are partly because obviously it's a lot of wide long shots. There's not a lot of cuts, but I think the other part of it is during that club scene, like it feels like you've been at a club all night by the end of that scene because you've just been seeing so much. So then when you do leave that club, like you do feel like you've been up all night. You do feel fatigued when you get into that sort of final scene. I think in the club scene too, um, uh, Hulo, he reunites with a bunch of different people too. Because you, like you said, even though that scene is like really long, it's nice that they, he brings in Hulo, who you recognize and you like a lot. And he's introduced to people that you also recognize. He connects with the door guy who got mad at him. And he's like being chummy with him. He uh, meets up with the women that we had talked about earlier from the tourism group. I think the band leaves and then she starts playing the piano for everyone to dance to. And, like a guy has a guitar and a woman starts singing. Like a lot of like crazy, like just like, you know, things are going on all over the place. And um, another favorite gag of mine is that like there's, I don't even know what it is. It's like a full, like it's like a plate with like a whole fish. And like waiters keep walking by and like messing with it and moving it around and they don't know where it's supposed to go. It's like, oh no, it's not that table, it's that table. Like they're just like, they don't know what to do with it. Like that was really funny too. Cause that, that, that I think gag happens throughout the whole scene from the very beginning. Yeah. Like the, the fish, the plate of fish that they don't know what to do with. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to talk about with that. It's such a long scene. Like, I don't know. Is there something I'm missing like a gag or like a thing that I'm missing from that part of the movie? I mean, I, I think we hit some of the major gags. There's a lot of little gags, especially that happen at the door with like these different characters coming in and like different nationalities and like people you know, dressed in these interesting outfits. There's the woman who like her dress like goes down the floor and she kind of like floats across, which I guess they must've put her on like, I don't know, like wheel or something. I think, I think I've seen that before. I think you can do that. I think you can, I think there are people who are able to walk like that. So like you think she's just actually walking and just looks like that? I think it's like a trick. I think she's just able to like walk in a certain way where she can do that. I've seen that like trick, like, yeah. you know, I don't know if it was a movie or like a video or something, but I think that's possible. I don't think you need like a rig or anything. This is quite <laughs> impressive. But yeah, it's all the gags or a lot of the gags are sort of uh, physical. They have to do with like the space and like the way the architect kind of built things, which. Yeah, so. Architect, <laughs> yeah. The way that the club is like designed is like badly designed and it's so good. There's that, like, he's like the guy at the bar. For some reason, there's these, what appear to be almost like uh, like fence post. Like they're right in front of his face. So he can't like see or do anything uh, while he's behind the bar. So people are also like, they're getting drunk at the club and they're getting kicked down. They're getting back in. And of course, one of the best gags in the whole movie, in my opinion, is when Hulo shows up and the, the, the door guy, his friend is like, you should go into the club. And Hulo's like, no, no, no. And they're like messing with the door and it shatters. They just have the uh, door handle. And 
the door guy of course pretends like you know, like a couple walks up and he just has the door handle and he pretends to open an imaginary door <laughs> and that happens like throughout the whole movie where like he has the door handle and the whole time he's like pretending to like open doors and stuff and that's used throughout like from that point forward it's used like several times and it's just that's like one of my favorite gags that one is very very funny because it's yeah he just uses it at every <laughs> he just has it <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's one of perhaps the most impressive things about this film, especially considering that this film started production in 1959 and didn't finish production until like 1965 or 66. So it spent like six or seven years in production. And it's not like one of those things where like, oh, we wrote the script and like a couple of years went by and then they went this. Like they filmed for like three years nonstop. And so to have these gags that aren't just like one-time things, and this happens a lot in the film where like you'll have gags that just recur over and over. I think Jack, what Jack sees really good at is he's really good at world building. And so like once something in the world happens, like it's forever that way. So, you know, with the glass door, but then like a bunch of other things too, like once it's broken, like it fundamentally changes everything else that happens in the film. You say he like finished it. He finished filming in 1965, but it released in 67. Did it like take him a while for him to finish it or like could he not get it released or something? Sorry, they finished shooting in 65 and then That's they year yeah. in uh, sound. Okay, yeah. And they spent almost a whole nother year just editing it together because it's a monstrosity of a film. I mean, even though like, you know, we kind of talk about French New Wave and French Shoot New Wave, like the editing is so like chaotic and there's so much movement. The editing for this film, while I don't think is like anything, you know, unique or absurd I think there's just something just mind-boggling challenging I'm guessing what they did for a lot of this is they used multiple cameras I I don't know how you would shoot that without like I don't know how you would shoot something like the scene in the apartment or the scene at the club without having like multiple cameras on sex I don't how do you not it almost kind of makes me think of like that uh one Nathan for you episode uh where he uh is like a he makes like a bar uh yeah. like play or something like that and then they, he recreates it into like an actual play with like a script and actors and stuff like that it kind of makes me think of that yeah <laughs> that's what I thought I imagine like it took a long time to like finish up the sound and the editing because yeah the sound is very important I think sound is important in, in kind of sucking you in the sound of everything going on like he does a good job of making it feel like you're there in terms of like how it sounds and how people act or talk it's very good. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I missed in from that part. I think in the end they leave, right? Like uh, Hulo and the girl, they leave. Yeah, they, they go to the drugstore. Them and like uh, the American, a bunch of others, like go to the drugstore. Now they're, now they're going to go have coffee. And mm -hmm. the drugstore, I think is just, I mean, like all the sets, it's just this really cool design. It's like these two glass windows. It's like on a corner and have these awesome neon signs. And again, with the sound design, like the neon signs have like this like humming sound that comes with them which is so strange and cool and like it's only there like when it's on which is always fun and, and they're in the drugstore and it's just kind of a couple of just more gags in the drugstore there's like that thing where that guy is like uh putting that pipe somewhere and he like sneaks i don't know if it's like alcohol or, or what what he sneaks into like yeah. a, through the pipe i thought it was boots yeah yeah that's probably the biggest gag if i'm remembering from that part yeah, it's kind of funny because like when you go to like a mall or like a department store, like all like stores have big glass doors now, you know, like they just, they do, you know, they have big glass windows, big glass doors. I don't know if that was like common at the time or not. Like, I don't know. 
maybe, maybe not, I don't know. Then they go to a store, they go to the department store, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they go to their department store and they're hanging out there. And I think the girl has to leave, right? She gets, she has to get on the bus because she's a tourist, she's gotta go home. And I think he, he like gets caught up. Uh, he bought a present for her and she's leaving, but he's trying to like go through like this gate, but he has to like go around, but then he gets caught up in a line. So he's like, he goes to like a guy and he's like, who's dressed like him, of course. For, that doesn't, I don't know. I just, I guess that's a gag. He's just like, oh, it looks like me. He, he gives him a present to give to her. And she goes on the bus and um, yeah, she like opens it. And I think it's like a headscarf, right? What's interesting about the headscarf is it's a headscarf of all of the famous locations of like, oh. Paris. Like it's like the Eiffel Tower and like that, that arch thing and all the others. So it's again, kind of harkening back to that idea of, in a certain sense, it's super touristy because it's right. It's like, you know, oh, look, I went to Paris. Here are the pictures I have. Here are all the things that I saw. But again, she, like everyone else, didn't see anything. The only thing she actually got from it, right, is this is this little scarf that she got as a gift. And she doesn't even know who she, like, I mean, it's not clear she knows that, like, Hulot got it for her. Because, like, when someone asks, she's like, oh, just some guy got it for me. Yeah, some guy got it for me. That's so nice. <laughs> but they're driving to the uh, airport. I think at this point, it's like the, it's like a carousel of like cars. I'm trying, I guess it's like the weekend, right? Is that the idea? They don't say it, but I'm guessing it's like a, like a Saturday, right? That's my impression. Cause all of a sudden, like kind of like the city kind of opens up in a weird way. And also like in this part, like there are more kids. Yeah. So there's like a bunch of kids running around the city now. And like, it's like a, it's like a roundabout with like a bunch of cars moving around. And at one point, like, like they stop, right? And then like, because the people have to go into some cars and they're like moving around and they stop almost like, like a carousel when it stops, everything stops. And then they go on again around like the roundabout, which is kind of weird. Tati almost kind of like lets up on his like um, cynicalness a little bit where he's almost kind of like trying to say that despite like modern life, people are still able to kind of like come together in a way like they're still able to coexist, um, even if like the world that we built is still like kind of like can be maybe in a way soul sucking. People are still almost able to kind of like create like wonder in their lives and fun in their lives. I don't think he sees like people like having fun on the weekend as a distraction. I think he sees it as more kind of like them kind of like breaking out um, in a very uh, beautiful way. So it's kind of weird. It's like the first half of the movie, like I said, it's, he's kind of like cynical about the nature of like modern life and like city life and like office life or whatever. And kind of like the overall chaos of like, of our, of our lives overall. But then the second half, he kind of almost kind of like lets go of a little bit. I think he still admires like the tenacity of people to still kind of like carry on and ignore the, like the bad parts of their life and still kind of be optimistic about life, even though there's everything to be pessimistic about it, which well, like I said, I think like the ideas, at least that I glean from the movie, are very well done. You know, they're very beautiful. And I wasn't expecting the movie to end in such a very like, I don't know, it's kind of confusing. It's kind of pessimistic, but it's, it's quite optimistic. I don't know. It's it's really hard to say, but it's very, it's, it's very interesting. I don't know if you feel the same way. I've always struggled with this, like everything that happens after the club scene, because it does feel... Obviously, none of this film has any sort of plot, but it feels at its most kind of loose, I guess, in a certain sense. And it the tone does change a little bit at this moment. And I, I think 
perhaps kind of like going off what you're saying is I, I think what's what's being suggested here is that look like the world like sometimes like we, we've built this world right we've built this world of separation and boxes and constantly on our own and bureaucracy and this Kafka-esque world but the fact is is that that's the world we've already created that's the world we live in so you know we can continue to live like this and just be miserable about it or we can accept it and try to make the most of it, right? I think that's what he's suggesting is, you know, all these people on the weekend, you know, it's going on holiday or whatever, is that we do live in this world, you know, we are sort of often trapped around boxes and maybe we can't get out of that. Maybe that's just, you know, that's an inevitable part of the world that we live in. But even if that's the case, that doesn't mean that we can't be happy. That doesn't mean that happiness can't be found. It's just, you know, we can't find it. Like, don't expect to find it there right? You find it in human connection. You find it in these little moments between people. I don't know if like Tati necessarily thinks that like um, there's no alternative, you know? Mm -hmm. I think there's plenty of alternatives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I guess like, uh, I guess he, he definitely, I, I would say like he definitely like admires people, you know what I mean? He doesn't admire buildings or companies or like corporations or he doesn't admire like buses or cars. He more admires like people and like their tenacity and their ability to kind of like bounce back and still like kind of create full lives. Yeah, I guess that's kind of my interpretation of it. So out of 10, what would you rate this film, Andrew? I think I would give it like a nine out of 10 for sure. Really good, looks great. Everything looks really good. It's kind of interesting because the movie itself is like a well-oiled machine while the movie it's also kind of about figurative machines, a figurative machine being like a, like a building, like an office building or something like that, or even like an apartment. There's definitely nothing like it, except of course, maybe other Jacques Tati movies, but it's funny, it's endearing, it creates complicated feelings, which I think is really hard for a movie to do. It's sort of admirable if a movie is able to give off like at least like some kind of feeling is able to evoke a feeling out of you. But I think it's like truly masterful if a movie is able to create like a complicated feeling out of you. I think that's like very good. And yeah, like, you know, Tati's really good in it. He's really funny. He's great physical comedy and it just sounds great and it looks great. And there's really just like not much bad to say, except like I said, I understand the effects it's supposed to have. I just sometimes would get exhausting to the point where, yeah, it's like, I like to like watch a movie and be able to like get something out of it visually and be able to kind of understand, like, you know, at, at a base level. So sometimes like, I, I wasn't like a huge fan of like kind of the disorienting effect that you created. Um, but I understand the point of it. It just wasn't like, Part of me almost like wanted to like, you know, like pause it for a second and be like, this is like disorienting. I have to stop this. But overall, I mean, it's like fantastic. Yeah, it's just incredible. It's as we've discussed. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give this film a solid 10 out of 10. I just, I don't think it's a movie I can watch very often. Like, it's not something I can come back to the same way I could come back to like the Graduate, like I can watch The Graduate just as like a fun movie and just like turn on anytime or the way I can say turn on like, you know, Hitchcock's Vertigo or Psycho or, you know, the way I can turn on like a Buster Keaton film and just kind of watch it over and over again. It's definitely an experience that like I, I couldn't have more than once a year because like you said, it is disorienting, it is fatiguing, but it's just every time I watch the film and I, I still think this is the only film I feel this way about, I'm more impressed with it each and every time. Like it just feels 
more masterful. It doesn't feel like, you know, it, it's one of the films that constantly baffles me because usually when I watch a film, I can be like, oh, you know, I know how they did this, you know how they did that. And like, the more you watch it, the more you can understand like the filmmaking techniques of it. But there's just something about this that's like, it's so hard to grapple just the brilliance and technique and just the complications from merely a you know technical standpoint of this film that you know for no other reason I think is, is a perfect film and having not seen this in a couple of years and before you know I always loved the film but it was kind of I think because I was in a different place and also it is a sort of disorienting film I don't think I, I felt the way I do about it now which is just that I think this might be one of my favorite films simply because in my opinion it's one of the most impressive directorial feats of all time like of all the films i've ever seen you know between you and i we've seen thousands and thousands of films it's just the amount of effort and technique put into the you know, the direction of this is just it's just astonishing definitely like a movie i wish i'd like you know i, I would love to rewatch it in like kind of like a like a really like like a movie theater setting that would be fantastic yeah I, i've seen it once in a theater and it's I will say that the experience on like a big screen, especially when you have like that stereo sound, it's just an entirely different experience. I mean, there's just really, there really is nothing like it. So, you know, I, I'm sure eventually they'll probably do it like, you know, how they do like classic movies. I'm sure like on the 50th anniversary, they'll probably show it at like, or wait, I guess the 50th already happened in the 60th, I guess. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. 67, so. Yeah, so maybe 75th. We'll, we'll find a, a theater and watch it. But it, it is, the experience is quite like no other, honestly. Yeah, agreed. All right, y'all. Thank you for listening. I'm Austin Lugo. You can find me at Austin Lugo 12. I'm Andrew Harp. You can find me on Twitter at ADHarp24. You can find this podcast wherever you hear your podcast. You can also find us on YouTube and Instagram at With Nothing to Say Podcast. And thank you all for listening. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.